0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We're beginning in the book of 1 Peter today. Peter, who at this point in his life is an elder of the church, serving as a shepherd, and he writes to those who reside as strangers, is what he says. This is how he characterizes Christians in the opening of his letter those who reside in pontus galatia cappadocia asia so not one particular local church as the writings and letters of you know so much of what paul put in the new testament but he's writing to christians abo- abroad and as we read through these letters it becomes clear that peter recognizes his time on earth is nearly up the lord has revealed this to him and he's concerned He's concerned with what he sees as a real threat, both within and without the church. And in First Peter, he's primarily concerned with uh, the the latter, uh, the persecution that is arising uh, uh, against Christians, and and he will speak of suffering seventeen times. He'll he'll use some word or form the word suffering seventeen times in five chapters. And he will also use the word glory numerous times, about 10 times in five chapters. I think that gives us a little bit of insight into his thinking and what he's driving at here as he's calling Christians to to bear up under this suffering, reminding them of the promises of God and everything that they have to look look forward to. He doesn't want them to give up. And so the message of First Peter will always be relevant to us. Uh, as Peter speaks so much as so much to our identity and who we are in in this world, and our destiny because of that identity, and so he begins just to, to get a brief overview before we look into chapter one of First Peter. First Peter is is bookended with these ideas of glory. You now Peter will call to our minds from think about the glory that will be ours. When Jesus returns in chapter one, verses seven and eight, uh, and he also concludes the book in this in this way, and he's trying to conjure up uh, a vision of these Old Testament descriptions of God's people. How Abraham and Israel were sojourners in a land uh, that God promised them in Genesis eighteen twenty three, and so on and so forth. It's, A well-known description, right? And he's saying that that still holds true today. Of course, as Christians now look forward to their eternal home in heaven. We are just strangers here. That's the word that the ESV uses, and that's the idea of being foreign, alien. We're just residing as exiles here. We're ultimately traveling to our home that is beyond this life. And so right out of the gate, Peter wants us to Remember that that is our identity in this life and that we should be thankful, verses 3 through 12, for this new life that God has given us, this hope that we have because of the promises that have been delivered to us through Jesus. And Peter is also going to reinforce the point that God is watching over these things, these promises. And again, that's that's an idea that carries from the Old Testament, the prophets would speak of God watching over his word uh, in Jeremiah 112. Like he's what he's keeping an eye on what he has said, and he's going to fulfill it. And Peter is doing the same thing here in, in chapter one, as he's reminding Christians you know, of their identity and the wonderful promises that God has made, and that God is watching over, in a sense, those promises to fulfill them. Even though even though right now persecution is is happening and Christians and churches may be suffering across the globe at the hands of wicked people being persecuted, God's promise holds true. None of that changes what he ultimately intends for his people. And so from that, then Peter begins practical instruction in, in verse 13 into chapter 2 of how that should prompt us to be holy, if we do remember his promises and know our ultimate destiny, and we know this world is just temporary, we're here for a little while, then we should gird up the loins of your mind, as he says. Be prepared for action. Be holy. Live with reverence. Be submissive. As a member of God's covenant, you're one of his His people. And he gives us a couple of different pictures to reinforce that, as he pictures the church as a temple of living stones and a royal priesthood. So again, drawing on more Old Testament terminology and and language. And so the idea is in light of your new privileged status as a Christian, with all of these things that you had to look forward to, don't buckle under pressure, but instead keep living accordingly. Keep following the example of, of Christ and suffer in a righteous way, the way that he did. Not for doing evil, but righteously, and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. He says, chapter two, eleven, chapter two and verse eleven. whether you're mistreated as a citizen or a slave or a spouse in chapter three, these are all relationships Peter focuses on to give us specific instructions about how we do suffer righteously. How do we bear up under persecution from those those people? And what he goes on to describe is Jesus is suffering. Remember that he suffered. And remember to sanctify him as Lord in your heart. And Peter also reminds us that, like so many other Bible writers, he reminds us that a reckoning is coming. And he doesn't want God's people, um, or those, I should say, who are once God's people to fall on the wrong side of that. Because they did give up, and they did buckle under pressure. And so he's reminding us that the time is short, And that we should serve all we can for God's glory. If anyone should suffer as a Christian, let him glorify God in this name, Peter says, near the end of his book. Just as Jesus taught us, rejoice when persecuted for his sake. And then he ends by addressing elders specifically to shepherd the flock that is among them. Uh, So again, not one particular local church, but elders wherever they may be found in various local churches. And he ends with a call to be sober and alert and to continue in, in prayer. And this ultimately, uh, in, in looking forward to the day that uh, we go home and be with the Lord, or He returns and we live with Him in glory. Uh, so that's kind of a snapshot of the entire book of of 1 Peter. Uh, that herein is ultimately... This life is characterized by suffering, but a Christian's joy is rooted in the unbreakable promises of God, the forgiveness that we have in Christ, the hope of heaven that we have, and how sure those promises are, how it was predicted by the prophets. And even though Christians may be objects of derision now in the world, uh, that shouldn't affect our joy, and it shouldn't affect our hope, and the anticipation of glory that we have because we are still uh precious to our loving shepherd he's going to make sure we get home and he's going to use suffering uh, ultimately to our to our advantage okay so let's go back to chapter 1 now after that overview and just do some do some reading and see how far we can get here in the time allowed so we've already noted that peter is speaking to to Christians abroad, whom he calls the, the elect exiles of the dispersion in these various regions. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is what Peter wants to reinforce right out, of, right out of the gate, that yes, you're an alien here, you're a stranger here. That's how you should think of yourself. Don't be surprised by it. This is what Jesus foretold. You're in the world, you're not of the world. And notice he says this is according to the foreknowledge of God. God knew who his chosen people would be from the beginning, from, from eternity. Not in specific individuals, even though that's true, in the determinative sense or fatalistic sense but who as people would be as a as a group right as a church that they would be sanctified as peter says here by the spirit and jesus said the same thing right in john 17:17 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth your word is truth so all those who would ultimately submit to his son who would obey him finding forgiveness in his blood that would be God's people. They would be God's people, I I should say. And that was determined from all eternity. And so Peter, again, is giving us this powerful reminder that, yes, you're rejected by the world. You might even be rejected by your own countrymen, friends, family, but you are still chosen by God. You are a member of his covenant. You are sealed by the blood of Christ. You You are his own. uh so the the picture is, and depending on your translation it Peter might be sounding as if he's saying, You are guarded, or the inheritance itself is being guarded by by god's God's power. I think ultimately it makes a uh, little difference, but both teachings are true um, but it's God who has given us this new life. He didn't have to, but because he is merciful and long suffering, he wanted to remake. A people for for his own. And Peter says that this was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, through your through your belief in that good news and your obedience to it. Right. Notice he'll say later in verse 23 that we have been born through the seed of God's word. So he's not saying two different things. He's not saying that you're born, reborn two different ways, but he's elaborating on how that new birth took place. Right, so we've been reborn to this new hope as God's new people. Then verse 23, he says there, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and abiding word of God. And that aligns perfectly with what he's saying about sanctification too, and what Jesus does in John 17, that it's obedience to this word that sets you apart, that gives you this new life, and in which you are remade or reborn uh, as a child a child of God, and that you are continually reshaped as a child of God to the extent that you continue to submit to it, right? So it's not just like a one-and-done deal. Okay, you cross the threshold, you're a child of God. That's true, you do enter into fellowship with Him through obedience to His Word, but you also maintain fellowship with Him through obedience to His Word. And He works in you and changes you and shapes your life as you submit to his, His instructions. Uh, So, this inheritance, let's talk about that now. Peter mentions here because he's connecting it with this idea of the the new birth. This, verse 4, this inheritance that is coming, that we're expecting, is is only for those who have been reborn. That it's unfading, it's kept in, notice, heaven. He says it's kept in heaven for you. Uh, And I read from the New American Standard a lot and and that translation renders the text as if Peter is speaking about uh God's power protecting the inheritance itself. And that seems to be the idea that just as we are protected by the power of God if looking forward to the final realization of our salvation with with him in heaven, he is also uh protecting our treasure in heaven, right to use Jesus's words, right? "store up for yourselves treasure in heaven." Where you know thieves do not break and still, moth and rust do not destroy, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And since it's there, right, it's it's under his it's under his guard. Right. It and, and so that gives us every reason to rejoice, as Peter says, and this you rejoice, despite whatever sufferings you're undergoing in this life, whatever distress, distresses may come, like even the worst that you can imagine. Right. It's in that your life may be taken away. Many Christians were persecuted to the point of death in the first century. Peter's saying, That's the pathway to glory. That's the pathway to your your treasure, which is going to far outweigh anything that you suffer here, to use Paul's words in Second Corinthians four seventeen. And and look at how he goes on to characterize these sufferings. So in this you rejoice. Even though, while if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So these various trials are going on. Doesn't change your inheritance. Doesn't change what God implants for you. And then look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so we have every reason to rejoice, even in the midst of these trials, which Peter says, do what? He says that they're a proving ground. They're proving your faith, just like you heat up gold uh, to prove that it is what it is. You're, You're testing it by fire. Uh, the same is true with your faith, and ultimately, if your faith is proven in the in the various fiery trials of this life, he says it results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus, our hope, uh, returns. It, and he is saying that this is that this praise, glory, and honor is for you, right? So there's plenty of Bible passages that you know that end kind of in that prayer form: "All praise and glory and honor be to Him forever and ever." Amen, and to him belong the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen, we might say. But here, the idea is the praise and glory, honor he intends for you to have when you finally join him at his side, having been tested in this life. And so believers, Christians, can and will suffer tremendous pains of all kinds in this life, physical, emotional, psychological, because of their faith. Or just because of and because of life circumstances, um, but the key to maintaining that hope and the outlook that we should have uh, and the reward to come is faith to remember it is by faith the believer or the faithful follower is is protected, and this is what Peter is emphasizing here. Right? you haven't see, you notice verse eight. You haven't seen him with your your eyes yet. Right, he's speaking to Christians. They hadn't lived with you know these folks hadn't lived with Jesus for three years as the apostles did, as Peter had specifically. He says you haven't seen him, but you do. But you love him. You believe in him, and you can have joy because that. you don't. In other words, need you don't need to see him physically or have had to have lived with him physically in the way that Peter did. But you can have an inexpressible joy knowing that he's going to be true to his his word. And so as long as we have faith, um, which translates to, in, in Scripture, what faith means is trusting obedience, and that's going to become, it becomes clear with every Bible writer if you read them long enough, even if they don't spell it out that, that way, that is how first century Christians viewed and and. Expressed faith uh, was that it's it's trusting obedience. And so so long as you trust and obey, that is, have faith, the outcome is, verse nine, salvation. Salvation for your soul. And again, this is gonna become clear as we move forward, but he's no Bible writer, including Peter, describes faith as a single isolated act. Right? So justification, salvation, keeps pace with your your faith. And there's numerous examples of this. Uh, For the sake of time, we won't won't get into that. Uh, Now look at what Peter does beginning in, in verse 10. As he's speaking about salvation, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were um, serving not themselves but you, and the things that you have now been uh, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter wants to take a moment to elaborate on the salvation that he's just described that we can have joy in anticipating, and he's saying that this salvation again was decided just as who God's people would be was decided long before you and I were here, Um, so was salvation predicted long before our time. In fact, even the prophets themselves longed to understand when these things would happen, when Christ would suffer, when he would accomplish salvation for his people. And that the message, that message, was divine in origin, is divine in origin. It was revealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this will come up again in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse verse 16. This is a, a popular point with Peter, because he wants our hope and, and joy and uh faith to, to rest on the sure word of God. And so we can go, you know, Peter says the prophets they discuss these things and they look deeply into them, trying to understand. And so we can we're blessed now that we can go back and look at the prophets, like Isaiah, like Daniel. Like Micah, all of them who spoke of a suffering servant of God, who would ultimately deliver his people, who had visions of the Son of Man entering into God's glorious presence, who would be this shepherd king born in Bethlehem, right none of this you know they were there were all these kinds of loose threads just kind of running through the Old Testament, and no one really could understand, okay, how are they all going to come together well they they do in the new testament in one specific individual. All right? And so Peter's saying this is it. He he is he is the one. This is what you've been waiting for. There's no one else coming after millennia, plural, millennia of prophecy, he's finally here. And this is what God always intended. And so the significance of this is that God has always wanted us to be his children. He's always wanted us to be reconciled to him. He's gone he's he's worked through entire human history to bring that about. And he's not going to just frivolously let go of that now. No, he's he wants us with him. He's desired for us to be in fellowship with him from the beginning, just look in Eden. He wanted us to rule with him there. To be part of his family. To to have authority. And since ages and ages, for ages and ages, that's always been true. And his plan was to bring that, that plan to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And he has. And so Peter is saying, don't let go of it. This is very, very good news. Verse 12. There were all these loose threads running through the prophets. They were looking through. Angels longed to look into these things. They were trying to understand it, but now, verse 12, it's been revealed. The good news has been announced to you. Verse 13, so therefore, now the practical instruction begins. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, given these, the idea is, given these blessings, giving the tremendous grace of God and the plan that he has executed and has been executing for thousands of years, given your hope and salvation, Given your joy and the glory that you're looking forward to, all contingent upon your faith, right, which is trusting obedience. So here we so here we go, right? Verse 13, what does that look like? Get ready. Keep sober. Set your mind fully on the grace of God. Be ready to take action. Be holy in all your conduct. Verse 17, if you call on him as Father, uh, who judges impartially according to each one's need. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Being the kind of people <clears throat> who are truly children of our Father is a matter of the will. And so make this decision to, again, be holy, prepare your mind for action, uh, don't be given to, to lust, but notice, conduct yourself in a sp- specific way. right? So what's he stressing here? He's just stressing simple obedience, right? Children submitting to the authority of their um, their heavenly Father. Be holy in all that you do, just as just as He is, and so faith entails conducting ourselves in fear and reverence and honor to our impartial Father, and so. Peter is reminding us here that our our closeness to him, our fellowship with him in no way means that we may sin against him with impunity, even if we're suffering persecution. That's not an out. Even as we're going through various trials, right? That's a testing of faith. And it doesn't give us the authority to throw up our hands and say, you know, we're just gonna take a break for a while, you know, with this faith stuff, with this God stuff. Peter says, Don't be deceived. He judges without partiality. He's not going to compromise his own holiness, and he doesn't want you to either. He says, Do this, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world that was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory? So that your faith and hope are in God. This is Peter keeps coming back to this, right? This was the the eternal plan and the only plan. And don't mistake it. Don't try and there. There's no alternative, right? And I think that that knowledge. He keeps bringing up that point because that that knowledge motivates us to live the kind of life he's he's calling us to live knowing that there is there is no alternative and also knowing and being reminded of what what he went through be mindful of the sacrifice he made on our behalf be mindful that he was raised from the dead to serve as this priest king to continue to intercede for us and that we've done nothing to deserve mercy that we can't repay him but we should die trying to prove ourselves worthy of him. We must understand that because God has redeemed us right verse 18 you were ransomed you were bought out of the feudal ways you inherited from your ancestors that came at great cost to him so we owe him our lives and so we have to make that personal right I now have The life I have because God was willing to pay the price for it. He paid for my life. My life belongs to him. This was the reason Jesus came. Not for his own sake. But for you and me. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to glory. was for our benefit. He was glorious before he ever came to earth. As he says in John 17... Restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world was. And so he did it for us. And he says, having pure verse twenty-two, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass wither and the flower fails. but The word of the Lord remains forever. Again, obedience is the only, uh, not only the only acceptable response, but the only reasonable one. And it's inseparable from legitimate biblical faith. And Peter now turns, as so many Bible writers, to our treatment of, of one another. And notice it's this obedience in faith, obedience to the truth, is what purifies your soul. That obedience to the word of God is what brings us forth as new creatures. So again, verses 22 and 23, not something different than what he introduced this this teaching with um, back in verse 3 yes it's verse 3 when he said that God has caused us to be born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Christ um, they're just explaining how, verses 22 and 23 are reminding us how that happened and that we need to continue continue down that path to attain these blessings God's word is living and active and powerful Hebrews Hebrews 4.12 And, you know, the the chapter breaks here. Obviously, that's the end of of chapter one. But Peter continues on this point into chapter two as he's describing the word of God. And he says, let's just read there momentarily. So he says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation If you have tasted that the uh, Lord is good, the kindness of the Lord. Uh, So this good news that was preached to us, that has given us this hope, that has revealed Christ to us, even though we never saw him with our own eyes, it is this living and enduring word that teaches us a living and enduring love. And it teaches us the holiness of our Father. And it teaches us uh, who Jesus was and his expectations. And so the more we take in this word, like newborn babies, the more we will grow in love and holiness, and the more we will be shaped to be like him. And this is, again, what God expects. And this ultimately leads to the salvation of our souls and saves us from sin's consequences. The, the standard is growth right and growth comes spiritual growth that is when he hears and understands the word of truth and conforms his life to it right because it's and that is because of who it originated with so a true christian is a growing christian our faith should never be a static thing it's either growing or shrieking and as Peter is describing here the word of God is as a food, it's this food that's going to nourish us. You know, Paul uses the same picture with Timothy, right? Being nourished on the words of the faith. And so as faith grows, so will our love and will be increasingly operative and 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 striving to be more holy like our heavenly Father. Uh, And so that's, I think there are many points of examination here through this chapter. You know, we can, I think it ultimately boils down to how is, how is your faith? Is it growing or shrinking? And, you know, a, a key metric of that is asking, well, how often do you read the scripture? Do you long for the pure milk of the word? So that you'll be nourished on those promises of God, be reminded of the hope that you have in Christ be reminded of his sacrifice and then and then in turn be motivated to serve him to take hold of the the prize that he's put before us to long for that inheritance and to not be enticed by the things of this world well, I appreciate you tuning in uh, we'll pick up here soon Please continue to study the Word of God and feel free to visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org where you can find these recordings and other study materials, resources that you might find useful or uh, email me with a question at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Love to hear your thoughts or comments, uh, anything that you would like to hear discussed on this podcast.